You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul Ryan's retirement and why it's significant. Paul Ryan joined the House in 1999 and came to prominence as a backbencher during the Tom DeLay uh, Congress. And his goal was always to become the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. Paul Ryan got his start at Jack Kemp's uh, shop and essentially always had a an affinity for economic policy. His two main goals were tax reform and entitlement reform. And obviously he leaves with some measure of tax reform uh, as he exits the building. He became speaker in 2015 when John Boehner resigned. Boehner had essentially lost control and the confidence of the caucus. While Boehner was speaker of the House, the Freedom Caucus got elected in the Tea Party movement, and the caucus really started to fragment and split. And Boehner was not willing to continue to be the speaker of the House because he was sick of it, and he was also probably going to lose his speakership. So he resigned in 2015, and that left a vacuum. Kevin McCarthy was the number two, but didn't have the votes to actually ascend to the speakership. And Paul Ryan, the most famous person in the House at that time in the Republican caucus, who was fresh off of run as the vice presidential candidate with Mitt Romney, was the only real choice for Speaker of the House. So Ryan, who didn't want the job, ascended to the speakership in 2015. Uh, He achieved, during that time, one of the two planks of his goal. He achieved tax reform under President Trump. He was also a pretty decent counterbalance for the Republicans against uh, Barack Obama. You know, they're very similar in style and demeanor. They're very calm, deliberative, uh, fit, young, energetic, around the same age. Barack Obama's a little bit older. That's partly why so many of, like, the Pod Save America crowd and so many of the former Barack Obama advisors absolutely despise Paul Ryan. Because, you know, as John Potterts said on the commentary podcast, these are the young Republicans that those Barack Obama advisors who are in their late 40s, late 30s, fought against on their college campus, the clean-cut dweebs. Uh, they, he, he's really disliked by a lot of the liberal establishment, which is mystifying. And as Megan McCain said on The View recently, if you're going to demonize Mitt Romney and you're going to demonize Paul Ryan, then you deserve Donald Trump. Because if you can't find common ground with Paul Ryan, who is essentially a policy wonk who just wants to negotiate policy and is a fairly reasonable person and wants to have a good candor in Congress, then you're not going to find common ground with anyone, and so therefore you deserve to be punished with someone like Donald Trump. And I agree, and that's part of why I believe Donald Trump was elected, because so many conservatives and Republicans kept seeing Mitt Romney get made fun of, and John McCain get made fun of, and these are people who are moderates, or you know, Mitt Romney's running for Senate and he's acting like a super conservative at the moment. Uh, He thinks Donald Trump is not conservative enough on immigration, for instance. But when he ran for president, he was considered pretty milquetoast. And if they call Mitt Romney a misogynist because he has binders full of women, when basically his point was, 
I'm trying to hire women. I have binders full of names of highly qualified women that I want to appoint in my administration. And then he was roundly mocked. Uh, you know, the Russia where he, 1980s, the same with Russia, where in a debate with Barack Obama, he said Putin was a threat. And Barack Obama said the 1980s called and they want their foreign policy back. Well, now Russia's the greatest enemy in the history of America, according to Democrats at the moment. So the continual mocking of conservatives and Republicans led the base, I think, to punish all of America <laughs> with Donald Trump. So Ryan didn't want the job and is facing a massive blue wave in October and November, and he's going to see a loss. Uh, he just doesn't want to become minority leader, and he has three kids who are on the verge of teenagedom. He's been in Congress 20 years, and he's tired of fighting the president. He doesn't like the president. It's pretty clear in his body mannerisms when he talks about the president. He stays focused on his job. And I would think that he wouldn't like the criticism of it either. I mean, the retirement has been met with joy from people on the intellectual left because he wasn't, quote-unquote, courageous enough standing up to Donald Trump. And that's not really Paul Ryan's job. I mean, Paul Ryan, I think, has taken the right tact, which is I'm hired to be the Speaker of the House. I'm going to manage the Speaker of the House. I'm going to do policy. And Donald Trump is going to be Donald Trump, and I'm not going to get involved in that discussion, and it's not my job to babysit the president. I think that's a, a smart tactic, and I think it is why Donald Trump owes his big legislative victory, probably the only one that he will have as president, the tax reform, to both Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, because they didn't pick fights with the president. They said, okay, here's what we can do. And we're going to get this done. And Donald Trump, if you really go back and remember, Donald Trump is fairly irrelevant in the tax reform debate. He just signed it. Uh, he was told to stay off Twitter, and he did, and that's why it got passed. Uh, so Paul Ryan, I think, is owed a, a debt of gratitude by the president for giving him that accomplishment. He wants to spend time with his kids. He's tired of the job. They're going to lose big in November, so I completely understand why he doesn't want to do the job anymore. Uh, the Republicans are going to lose big, as I said, and this only hurts because now every congressional caucus meeting on the right uh, is going to be about the leadership fight. Uh, will Kevin McCarthy be able to cobble enough votes together to become what I believe will be the minority leader as opposed to the new Speaker of the House? I don't know. Uh, they should be focused on re-election because it looks fairly bleak. So, you know, Ryan has also stated, I, I wasn't going to finish out this term anyway, so I didn't want to lie to my district and say that I was running just to save the seat for the Republicans and then leave and then have someone else reappointed. Uh, he has nearly $10 million in the bank. His Democratic opponent has... Uh, a fairly large amount of money, $2.3 million. And the new Republican starts at zero, but it, one presumes that Paul Ryan will help whoever the Republicans nominate in that district. Ryan is an, an incredible fundraiser for congressional Republicans, and this diminishes his ability to fundraise. So not only do you have the lack of focus on re-election, you now have a lack of fundraising 
by Paul Ryan stepping down. I think this was the perfect revenge on the Republican caucus for forcing him to be the speaker. Uh, So I also think that this signals that the internal polling must just be abysmal. So as of today, 43 Republicans are retiring, have resigned, or are running for other offices. Democrats only need a pickup of 24 seats to retake the House, and currently Republicans have 246 seats, while Democrats hold 187. Two are currently vacant. Uh, The Cook Political Report says that 29 Republicans are toss-ups, while Democrats have three. So Republicans have 29 toss-up tough races, while Democrats really only have three to protect, which is a pretty stunning number. Uh, There are 50 likely Republican seats with 13 likely Republican seats. So essentially that means that 50 Republicans are likely but still have a tough race, while Democrats only have 13. So that's that's 79 to 16 in terms of the vulnerable category for Republicans. There are 179 solid Democratic seats with 161 solid Republican seats. So that's a lot of vulnerability for Trump going in Trump's party going into the midterms and the most energized group of voters which usually can signal who is going to take over the house are young female voters who with, who are college educated and white and usually single and as you can imagine they usually vote democrat. So why should libertarians even care about any of this? Well, Ryan was essential in milking good economic policy out of Trump. He was a good babysitter for Trump. He was able to persuade Trump to enact good policy. So the policies that we liked, that we saw in December, came out of people like Paul Ryan. Now the policies that we don't like are coming out of the people that Trump has picked himself, uh, and his instincts seem to pick, which isn't surprising for a New York Democrat, until six years ago, to pick people who are fairly progressive, be it Republican progressive or Democratic progressive, uh, his instincts seem to lie on uh, the scale of bigger government. And so I think it is important for there to be a conservative house with libertarian leanings, people like Justin Amash and Paul, uh, Rand Paul, who can counterbalance that progressive nature of Donald Trump. Trump is eager to please, and he's eager to get wins, and so he doesn't really have a political ideology. He doesn't have an ideology like Rand Paul, so he doesn't have anything to measure uh, his policy by. He just measures it on popularity and how it will affect him. And so if you have conservatives or libertarians who are against progressivism saying, uh, Mr. President, this will make you more popular— then that is beneficial to the libertarian uh, ideology. So I don't want President Trump to continue to propose legislation that leaves Dianne Feinstein with a massive smile on her face. It's also finally should be noted that if the Democrats take back the House, we're going to be besieged by impeachment talk. Um, I think that the Democrats are uh, setting up impeachment talk uh, on several different fronts. There's the emoluments clause. There's a very rational and reasonable case to be made, I think, in a lot of Donald Trump's actions that he is using the presidency for personal corrupt reasons. I think 
Amazon, for instance, is a, a tell of Donald Trump's corrupt nature where he doesn't like the online retailer because it hurts his business and mortar friends who buy space in his hotel. And so he ordered the post office yesterday to do a full audit, presumably so he can see what Amazon pays in packaging fees. Now, as we've said on a previous We Are Libertarians episode, the uh, only growth industry within the post office is shipping, and it's about 12% growth for the USPS. And a lot of that is because of Amazon. I'm getting some packages delivered this Sunday by the post office, which is something that they didn't do until Amazon started paying them to do that. Uh, But Donald Trump wants to damage a competitor of his using the power of the presidency. So I think there's a case to be made there. Uh, They obviously are using the Russia investigation and now the uh, campaign finance stuff with Michael Cohn's office being raided and the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels to be quiet. I think that's a less stable case for them to make. It's pretty clear at this point, uh, after a year, year and a half of the Mueller investigation and the only charges that he's been able to come up with are some 2006 charges against uh, uh, Manafort and previous corruption that took place you know, nearly eight years, ten years before Donald Trump was even running for president. So I think the Mueller case and the Russia collusion case is very weak and isn't there. Uh, every time the Russians actually tried to infiltrate the campaign, they weren't able to because they were ignored due to incompetence. So the new impeachment line that is being set up is coming from Senator Tim Kaine, who is uh, the Democrat that ran as vice president with Hillary Clinton. Uh, He and Jeff Flake back in, I think it was September of last year, October, introduced an amendment to the Authorization of Military Force, the AUMF, uh, and that was passed in the wake of 9-11 almost 20 years ago at this point. Uh, funding the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and has been used to expand uh, military action into a dozen countries. And Tim Kaine and Jeff Flake introduced legislation that would limit the scope of the the authorization of military funds to just fighting our three declared enemies, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and uh, a few other smaller uh, Islamic groups. And not would not authorize things like strikes in Syria. So it is interesting that Barack Obama got a blank check from Congress. But once you have Donald Trump in the White House, that's when Democrats finally wake up and they say, hey, maybe we should limit the powers of the president to declare war uh, as he sees fit. I'm all for it. I think that the uh, authorization of military force has been wildly abused. And Tim Kaine makes a very good case uh, that if uh, he, he spoke with Vice on their news tonight on HBO, basically saying that if Donald Trump strikes Syria, it's unconstitutional and illegal because he struck a, a foreign power, a nation, without the authorization from Congress. Uh, and it's one thing to strike at a group like al-Qaeda or ISIS, but it's another thing to strike at a nation. And I think they're is some truth to that argument because, you know, the Constitution was written in the era of nation-states, especially as nation-states were starting to really develop. And 
it, it didn't really necessarily foresee guerrilla groups like ISIS. Uh, I, I think libertarians have a harder time looking at the use of military force authorization to fight militarily. I, I personally don't think a military strategy to fight ISIS and al-Qaeda is effective. I believe that a policing strategy similar to what we saw before 9-11 was effective. 9-11 would have been prevented had the CIA not hid information uh, from the FBI. The 9-11 hijackers would have been stopped as they entered the United States had the CIA not withheld information in a bureaucratic fight from the FBI. The FBI would have arrested them, and 9-11 probably wouldn't have happened. So that is all within the bounds of the Constitution, uh, and uh, military adventurism only serves to increase the amount of new jihadists that we are creating. So the impeachment of Donald Trump could find new wind in uh, strikes on Syria should he strike Syria and he did last year, you could see impeachment uh, talk based on illegal wars. Do we as a nation want to live through impeachment drama? I don't think we have a choice. I think it's coming. There's definitely going to be a massive uh, win by Democrats. They'll definitely beat 24 seats. As I gave you the numbers, that's a pretty vulnerable stance. Uh, interesting times, and uh, I, as a libertarian, Paul Ryan is your typical conservative. He's fairly socially conservative, which we disagree with. He's fiscal, fiscally conservative and wants to rein in federal spending, which we do agree with. Uh, so he's a mixed bag. He's, he's not a progressive. He does want to restrain the federal government. So those are some of the things that we like. Uh, so it, it will, will it be a loss for libertarian ideology? Not necessarily. Uh, I think you're going to see more conservative, more libertarian-leaning, certainly not libertarian. Kevin McCarthy is not a libertarian. Steve Scalise, who was going to run against McCarthy, is not a libertarian. You know, it'd be great if we could get some Freedom Caucus guys in there as speaker, people like Justin Amash or Thomas Massey, but that's just not uh, possible because they are too radical for the more moderate parts of the House. But perfectly, perfectly reliable for us. So those are my thoughts on the retirement of uh, Paul Ryan, and I appreciate you listening to this episode of The Chris Spangle Show.